Welcome to Trading Tomorrow, Navigating Trends in Capital Markets. I'm your host, Jim Jockel. In my decade plus of working with Numerics, a global leader in capital markets risk management technology, I have launched our Thought Leadership Division, a place where insights, innovation, and expertise converge, just like this podcast. Through my journey in the financial realm, I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand how the capital markets landscape has transformed. The complex dance of market trends and innovative technology has redefined how the finance industry operates. With game-changing innovations just around the corner, we now stand at a crossroads, one where it is more crucial than ever to understand the interplay between these realms. That's what we do here. We talk about current and future processes and technologies you need to be aware of moving forward. Today we'll be talking about four technologies or trends you need to be tracking if you work in capital markets. With this episode, we are hoping to help you remain ahead of the trends. If you are someone who just found out about ChatGPT or AI just a few months ago, this is the podcast episode for you. We will cover what will be some of the biggest tech trends and innovations coming into capital markets so you can be at the forefront. Joining me today for this discussion is Neil Chennai. As an operating partner at Sandhill East, Neil has carved a reputation as a visionary disruptor and a thought leader within financial services and fintech communities. With over 25 years of experience driving innovation in IT for Tier 1 banks, Neil brings a wealth of experience to the table. His influence spans across capital markets, investment banking, security services, lending, and structured products. Neil's keen insight has led him to guide early-stage fintech firms and financial service software providers in areas like product strategy, business plans, IT infrastructure, and fundraising. His career journey has seen him at the helm of technology transformation for global giants like HSBC. Neil's ability to adapt technology enablers for everything from analytics and data science to digitalization and blockchain integration has left a lasting impact on the industry. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Jim, thanks for having me. So first up, we have low-code, no-code for banking. Can you briefly describe what this is and why you think it'll be revolutionary for this space? Well, low-code, no-code is, is really moving to uh, a visualization and for end users to really be able to wire applications together. Low-code sort of means you can wire a lot of it through visualizations and tools, and you do a little coding. No-code means there's absolutely no code required, and the visualization and the IDE you're working in makes it easy for end users and rad work to be done. I mean, the real importance of this is you're not dependent on the IT department where there tends to be a big backlog. And we're really trying to bring agility and helping the end users drive more uh, software releases and help their businesses. So many banks still rely on legacy systems, though. Do you think the adoption of low-code, no-code will change that? And, and if yes, how so? Well, I think when you think about legacy systems, we think about monolithic systems that have been around for a while. Um, I think there's a whole rabbit of change going on, and one of them is low-code, no-code. That's going to allow end users to be more empowered uh, as part of the whole digitalization strategy that are going on in turn, inside of firms and what they're trying to do with their data. So one of the things that I, I, I would want to kind of jump in there is when you talk about end user, can you describe that end user and what, what kind of – how is the skill set changing? Well, I mean, I, I think an end user to me is usually a business user 
um, and if the technology allows you as an end user to do more yourself, um, that's really, really important because then it brings this ability to do releases quicker, to you understand your business to make changes faster, right? Now, on the other hand, the IT department, I think, will still be very important. They'll probably be doing more core types of work where th this is what we're describing, more end-user-driven types of applications. And in terms of low-code, no-code, are there any specific areas within institutions or within fintechs that you've been working with that you're seeing interesting adoptions and changes that are really affecting businesses today? Yeah, I mean, inside of some of the sell, sell side and certainly inside of some of the fintechs, we are trying to adopt it so end users can do more on their own and be less dependent on the on the IT department. The, the IT department and some of the sell science firms that we work with are thinking this way so that they can empower their users and the end user can then do more. So the, se the second technology that you really wanted to chat about with us today is around blockchain asset tokenization. So why is this technology a good fit for banking and how could it enhance liquidity and be a more cost-effective option? Well, I mean, the, the first thing I think that happens if you could uh, put digital assets or tokens on a blockchain is that it's more liquid, it's more streamlined, it's more cost-efficient. Uh, there's plenty more you can do off the blockchain once you're on the blockchain. Also, if you look at, let's just take something simple as real estate, you could fractionalize it so much easier when it's in digital form. So it's really like when we talk about digital assets and blockchain, I think almost everybody says the blockchain is what is really powerful. The blockchain is what we like. So the more we can tokenize on a blockchain, the more power, simplicity, cost-efficient, uh, and liquidity drive into your, your solutions. And this technology would open a more global marketplace, uh, which is crucial for the future state of trading, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think we're headed in that direction. Some of the sell-side firms are already uh, doing tokenization. It could be bond offerings. It could be different aspects of the of the capital market structure. I think we're going to see a lot of this kind of play out in the next couple of years. Uh, if you know the company Digital Asset, they just rolled out on top of Daml, a blockchain solution. So there's a lot of activity in the background uh, going on that will come more into mainstream over the next couple of years. Now, specific to blockchain, obviously there was the the introduction of blockchain specifically around crypto, and, and the two became synonymous. Then there was the hype cycle where everybody's going to be in the blockchain. Um, where are we in that hype cycle today? And and from what you're saying, development is continuing and it's and and, and moving forward, correct? Yeah, I mean, I th I think there are a number of really interesting initiatives going on. Um, some of them could be around stablecoin. Um, others are just using the blockchain. Uh, yeah, so I think it is going on in the background. Uh, different firms are trying to leverage the blockchain, but it's, it's not at the hype where we're all talking about cryptocurrencies anymore. It's more about your business, how you leverage the, the blockchain, and how you become more efficient. And I think one of the key things that drives people in this direction is cost efficiency and reaching more customers. So the third technology uh, is incredibly popular. I think everybody's thinking about how they use it and in their own lives across many, many different markets, and, and that's AI. And last one we spoke in May, you said that ChatGPT uh, and AI, it's, it's moving at incredible speeds. So here we are you know, a couple months later. What, what, what changes have you seen uh, since that time regarding this technology? Well, I think ChatGPT 
uh, is only getting better and more powerful. More releases are coming out. Um, I think we've seen an enormous amount of releases from Microsoft, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, and all you see happening is partnerships and the idea that you're going to marry what we call advanced computing, which is really the cloud with uh, generative AI on basically GPUs. So, you know, as Jensen said from NVIDIA, this is an incredible explosion of two trends coming together. Um, so I think we're continuing to see that. Um, I think on the other side, you'll also hear that there's still a long way to go, which there is. Um, a big part of what I think firms have to do is figure out their data strategy and how they're going to adopt GPT in, into that strategy. Um, you know, the use cases I think that are, are really simple are ones that come to mind really quickly is anything with unstructured data. So if you look around call centers, uh, around R&D, around software generation, against marketing and sales, uh, research, I mean, there are, there are large, large amounts of documents or anything that's textual or anything that's natural language and, and is how humans interact. And that's where GPT comes in and, and generative AI comes in very, very well. But yet there's certain objections by banks in terms of usage of that, in terms of data privacy, um, you know, public information uh, or private information going out into to public. Uh, where do you see that debate at this point in time? Or is that creating more opportunity for private training, private clouds, things of that nature to take advantage of those technologies? I mean, the way I look at privacy is it's obviously an issue and something that we need to be very uh, – mindful of. But unlike when Facebook came out, there was no real conversations about social media, any rails. They're, the industry is trying to set some rails in terms of what you can and can't do. And I think there'll be continue to be a lot of discussion around how far to take AI. Um, so yeah, I think I'm mindful of the fact that if we get if we put it in the wrong people's hands and we use it for the wrong purposes, it could be quite disruptive. So I think firms themselves through their data architecture and how they how they use a cloud or how they use a hybrid cloud and how they use generative AI will be mindful of what power they're going to unleash. So in that adoption period, obviously people are playing with it. They're trying to discover new opportunities for it. Is that going to curtail adoption within financial services, specifically banks or other highly regulated uh, entities? So what, what I, what I kind of th I think I see happening and I see this across a number of different software companies and also inside the banks, is people are trying, just starting to play with ChatGPT or other forms of generate AI and trying to see what kind of power they can get out of it. So that could be, you could just get a co-pilot from Microsoft and start using that as, as an assistant to all the work you do on Office and your productivity go up five to 10 times, right? Or you could start using just ChatGPT or other forms of it in terms of software testing, software code generation. You could start using it in terms of just uh, different textual types of questions you ask it and refine it. Um, this term of a prompt engineer has gotten a lot of notice, um, and it's becoming uh, a job that, that what a prompt engineer does is basically interact with the AI models. Um, and so that's going to continue. We're actually working on a project at Sandhill that tries to automate prompt engineering by taking all your corporate data and and signaling it into into the AI models to give you better answers. So the idea is if you ask a very 
wide searching question, you'll get a wide searching answer from from ChatGPT. If you ask, if you say, "I work at X company, I do this job," uh, and you ask a very specific question, you'll get a better answer. So there's a lot of that going on too: experimentation and how to get the most out of AI. And there's even quality controls in terms of unpowering the AI's imagination, if you will, versus very specific answers to your question, as I understand it. I think quality control is is going to be part of the whole testing mechanism uh, and to make sure that the output you're getting are, are reliable, believable. Um, but that would go for any kind of technology, too. I, I think there's a lot of awareness around making sure you get accurate answers. So... Just out of pure curiosity, how do you gain confidence? What is what does that back testing look like? What is you know what is how do I sit here and say ChatGPT, I trust you? Well, remember we we're early days, right, in terms of uh, results. But I think the way you're going to get confidence by the way you interact with the with the models and you start to get the answers you think are, are reliable and and accurate for your business. I'm you know offline as we were, were chatting about uh, today and and this podcast was you know you you, you call digitalization the future um, you know perhaps you can explain uh, to our listeners what that is and why you believe digitalization is the future. We think uh, at San Hilis the this decade is about digitalization, right? Um, and if you kind of look at the uh, the map we've been on, um, 2022 to 2024. You know, really, you could put that at the center of that time frame is huge advancements in the cloud and then bringing AI in. And when we think of digitalization, we think about, first, customer-centric. Everything you do must be about the customer. Uh, at the same time, it must be sustainable. Uh, you know, any technology or business that doesn't think about sustainability will have issues. It must be frictionless, right? Uh, the value to the customer is zero touch. Reduce all those back-end processes. A big part of this is talent. You're going to have to be on top of your talent and make sure you have the right talent. And kind of in the center of it is AI, data, and analytics. And the big thing is monetizing your data. And it, and it feels right now there's a convergence of maturity in, in a lot of these technologies, whether it's cloud, whether it's AI, whether it's blockchain, um, uh, whether it's even just the last 10 years of data re- rationalization, building of data lakes, the whole bit. It, it just seems like everything's coming to an acceleration point. Would, would, would you agree with that? Well, I think things are accelerating, but I think I want to go to a little different path to answer that for a minute. So when we say digitalization, you know, what we're really talking about is optimizing processes and becoming more operational uh, agile, number one. You know, I mentioned the customer experience, also having employee productivity tools, um, it's also about being more like a technology company. And it's also about what you do with your data, whether it's real time or in batch and monetizing it. And in that front, I think we're only at the beginning. Like how many of the companies out there are truly monetizing their data? Uh, how many of them are thinking about how to monetize their data? And so, so to that end, so what are some of the dimensions of a successful digital company, you know, when when you look across the landscape, you know, obviously we know the big big brands, but to you, what stands out is someone who's differentiating themselves through the adoption of different technologies, and 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 what are the key signs of that? Well, the first one I think is when when you talk to people that that work with that company or use that service, the first question is, 
are they customer centric? Number one. Number two, is it frictionless? So when you use the product, it works front to back. You, you don't have to go to some production support person who then feels your questions, right? It's all automated. Um, have they thought about sustainability, like how they're, how they're actually going about it? We do care about ESG. Um, and what is their data and process architecture, right? So I think a lot of companies are down that path, but there's, there's, pl- there's so much more to go. Um, and, you know, big thing about blockchain and digitalization, honestly, it's the kind of technology that's working more on the operational side, to be honest, right? Versus over the last 20 years, we were automating everything on the front side. As you said, I worked in banking for a long, long time. You know, we had these pricing systems, these risk systems. So it was all before the trade. Um, and a part of digitalization and, and blockchain is up after the trade and having the front to back be fully automated. And for that, I think we got a long way to go. Have we started to see, and, and, I, and I'm assuming the, the tangible results are going to be margin improvement, revenue growth, and, in, and translate into opportunities for the business itself. Yes, I would agree with all that. Also, how we use our people, right? If one of the things you have is a team of 20 people who read emails and then route it into ServiceNow, that's not the best use of employees, right? So if we can automate that, and we have a number of companies even at Sandhill that can do that, can digitize it, then the idea is that the employee morale should go up because the type of work they're doing should be more value added. And I think that's part of what has to happen here. And and you bring up a, a, a thing that I think that a lot of people are afraid of, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on that word people, right? You know, you see studies from the London Business School of Economics and how AI is going to change job profiles or eliminate jobs, right? Whether it's robotics or whatever, uh, but I, I think a key point is the technologies as of today are helping people do better jobs and more rewarding jobs. Would you agree with that? No, I would agree with that, and I think it will get better from here. Uh, the fear, of course, this is, you know, we've had many revolutions in terms of technology changes, and every one of them, there's always been people worried that, that all it really means is all jobs are going away, and it, that has yet to happen. Um, this particular one with generative AI does does come across as hitting the white-collar worker more, so I think there is a lot of fear around it. Um, and you know, a lot of times people are used to doing things in a certain way, and if we want to change their jobs, they could, that could be fearful to them. So I think, though, the idea is that jobs should get better, um, things should get more automated, and more value should be added in general overall. So just coming back to financial service companies, capital markets, I mean, obviously, certain companies have a lot more resource, whether that is people or talent, talented people in these areas, deeper pockets, uh, time for investments, um, you know, for smaller industries to be competitive against these, these, these larger players, obviously they need to make investments as well. So, you know, how is, how is the industry going to align itself between the haves and have nots in this type of, uh, revolution? Well, I, th- I think it's kind of an interesting, uh, dichotomy right now because, the bigger companies have a lot of legacy, right? And and moving that legacy out is not easy. And some want to be on the cloud, some don't, some want a hybrid cloud. Uh, younger companies, smaller companies that don't have any of that legacy and can focus on digitalization and automating could actually advance quick, quicker. 
So I think that remains to be seen. The larger companies have probably the market share and all the clients that you, you want, that the smaller ones want. So I think it's going to be really an interesting story to see how many of the smaller companies can leapfrog, and there are always a few that do leapfrog, uh, especially around tokenization, blockchain, digitalization, right? And how many of the larger companies make the adoption at the pace they make it. Um, at Sandhill, we have a lot of startups and early stage companies that are all working on different forms of digitalization, and you know we see them making some real inroads in terms of how they change the footprint. You know, it's funny when you talk about. Uh revolution. Uh, I think back to my first firm that I worked with, we had a print shop in the basement that was probably the size of about 20 Kinkos. And, you know, the whole company thought the, it was going to be the end of the world when we closed it to save money. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, fun evolutions to, to come. So uh, we're now made it to the final question of this podcast, and uh, we call it the trend drop. Uh, it's like a desert island question. So if you could only track one future technology within capital markets over the next few years, what would it be and why? Well, I kind of think it's it's a combination of the advanced cloud computing being the cloud and generative AI and how that's going to change how how people do their job. And and a lot of it's going to drive productivity in terms of what our people are able to do. The, the whole world of natural language, communicating as humans, and using generative AI as a tool to help drive productivity, research, uh, I mean, if you if you look across the whole research in the medicine field, uh, in the pharma field, it it just seems like that uh, over the next three years, let's pick that number, that generative AI is going to provide really really great advances uh, in research. Well, Neil, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us today, and this was a fantastic conversation. I hope you'll join us again next time. Definitely, and I very much enjoyed it. And thank you very much, Jim. Coming up next week, we're covering survey findings from Acuity and why anyone working in derivatives and risk management should be taking note. Stay ahead by tuning in to our latest episode. But first, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, a like, and check out our other episodes. Thanks for joining.